Living Local, telling the stories that connect us. A United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County podcast. Diversity is a popular word these days. For most, when we hear the word diversity, we tend to think of racial diversity. However, our guests today want us to expand our understanding of the word diversity as inclusive of all ages, abilities, religions, sexual orientations, backgrounds, and yes, races. In March, I sat down with Darlene Slaughter, Chief Diversity Officer at United Way Worldwide, and Candy Castleberry-Singleton, founder of Dignity and Respect, Inc., an organization dedicated to making the world a better place for all to live with all of our differences. Darlene and Candy were in town to conduct United Way's yearly all-staff training around diversity and inclusion, so I jumped at the chance to pick their brains about diversity, inclusion, and how they lean on each other during challenging times. So, Darlene and Candy, why don't you tell me how you two met? It was a conference in Atlanta. It was a diversity conference in Atlanta. Linkage. It was Linkage Conference in Atlanta, which I actually started to work for Linkage, but it was after we met. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as conferences go, you, you, in, this, in this space, you tend to revisit the same conference year after year. And you either go as a speaker or you take new people to the conference. And so we had been there before, so we had seen each other before, but I had just started to, I had just gotten into the space of diversity and inclusion as the chief diversity officer. And I, like I I had seen a group of chief diversity officers from afar, but I wasn't a part of that circle and had not met everyone yet and not a part of the circle. So you kind of stand to the back and you try to figure out like, who do I really want to get to know? And, um, and I remember Candy coming over to me and asking me, um, I need to go shopping. Do you want to go with me? I need a pair, I need a pair of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was music to my ears. Little did she know that I was like, those were, those were the, the ultimate platinum diamond gold words that she could say. And I said, oh my gosh, yes I do. And so we went shopping. And we went shopping, and we had, I think, maybe 45 minutes, right? <laughs> that is the funniest part we, of all. We, we had 45 minutes in bet- because it was a break in between the conference, and we said, well, okay, we're going to leave so that we're not missing, um, and we got to get back. So we got someone to take us to the conference. We went, and we shopped in 45 minutes, and then we had to figure out, how do we get back in the hotel with right, all these bags, bags and not be seen? <laughs> <laughs> so hilarious and you can't go in at the same time right so you go first and then once she gets through the lobby then you make sure the coast is clear and then you then I went right behind her so it was it was fun it was like a shopping sprint yes I love it yes how a friendship is born it was it was born and so Darlene what made you to decide to uh, bring Candy along today Knowing Candy, she's a she's a dynamo, right? And she puts her heart and soul into what she does. You know, as a diversity professional, you're always trying to figure out like what is it that's going to really move the audience. And and as a diversity professional, you're not always the person that has to be the messenger, right? You you can't you can't always be the one delivering the message. And I thought. Candy would be excellent for the group, and the program that she designed would be excellent for the group. 
um, in terms of because knowing that it's it's both internal work that the team has to do as well as external in the community and I knew she she had both components of that and I thought she would just be a good fit she would just be a good fit and we work together well I can tell yeah <laughs> so Candy um, I'll ask you this diversity is kind of a buzzword these days we hear it a lot and sometimes what happens with words that we hear a lot is they the meanings get a little bit convoluted. People think they know what it they it means, but maybe there's not a bunch of a lot of agreement. So let's have you define diversity. I thought you did a nice job kind of illustrating it today. Well well actually I think in most of our programs we talk about diversity, but we introduce the concept of dignity and respect as sort of a foundation that enables diversity because if we aren't willing to have respectful interactions with people who are similar and different, then diversity just becomes a strategy and not an actionable um, program or um, it doesn't then enable perhaps, you know, a diverse workforce or an inclusive culture. I, I would also say that diversity has become such you know, uh, has become associated with the context of race that sometimes people don't listen beyond that. And although I would say there's clearly, you know, many opportunities we still have in this country, uh, it can't and is not the only challenge that we have with diversity. When you think about generations or the LGBT community or the faith-based community, disability community, there's so many elements. I think that sometimes, however, people believe that if they're champion for a demographic, that they're a champion for diversity. And I would suggest that that's probably not so true, that in championing one demographic and not recognizing that when that same thing happens to someone else um, and you don't have the same sort of concern or need to feel to fix it, it actually makes you less of a champion for diversity. And I also would add um, that the context of diversity only seems like a bad word when it's associated people with people. So if we say diversity, diversify your product portfolio, people say, yes, we should do that. Diversify your financial portfolio, yes, we should do that. Diversify your workforce, silence. What are some of the challenges that you faced in this work? I'm sure there's been a lot, but maybe some of the more significant. Do we have time? <laughs> <laughs> There, you know, there are a lot of challenges. There are. Um, but challenges can also be opportunities, right? And I would say one of the challenges is you're, you're helping people to change their mindsets, right? So that's a challenge because you're asking people to examine their values and their beliefs. Um, and you're asking people to also examine their biases, and many times those biases are what people have to keep them safe. And so, you know, to challenge that, to say that that bias that may have been okay for you at six years old is no longer okay for you at 30, is no longer okay for you at 60, um, or is no longer okay for you at even 23, um, you know, is if, if people push back on that. I think another a challenge in the field is having the resources to do the work the way the work can be done and should be done. And what that does, it makes you very creative, right? You have to, you know, I tell people all the time that I work the family and friends plan, 
And so, so Candy is a family member and a friend. <laughs> oh, you know, but she's not a family member, not, a real family blood, member, but, friend but, family. Yeah, she's the, a friend the family. family. The family, diversity inclusion family. And so, so, so in the work, you have to have a network of um, friends and professionals who do the same work, and we support each other. You know, because because it is challenging, right? We have to be able to call on each other and say, hey, I need to bring you in to talk to whomever it is that you may need to talk to. I need to get a different perspective at the table. Or I even, Candy and I have had conversations on Sundays where, you know, call each other and say, okay, is it me? Am I oversensitized to this? And I'm upset about this, but am I just too close to it? So give me a perspective that's a different perspective. Can you give an example of something? That you've um, talked out? The immigration ban. Yeah. I think when uh, when the immigration ban uh, happened, basically, um, many people knew who were particularly DNI leaders knew that we would be called to ask how should we respond in some cases. And I, I think, you know, you first posed the question about the challenge. And one of the challenges is, is that the role that we play is often the chief everything officer. So whenever it affects any demographic group, um, people think we have the answer. And so without this DNI family or network that um, Darlene referenced, then that means you're sort of making sort of these first time decisions, right, or first time assessments or recommendations sort of in a silo. And because we know that we don't have all the answers, we hope that the collection of our thoughts as DNI practitioners can come up with a recommendation that will work for our organizations, and whether that is, you know, as providing cons you know consulting, uh, or whether that is as the DNI leader who's going to have to sit in a meeting with their peers to make a recommendation. So the weekend that the immigration ban was happening, those of us who knew um, of employees who worked in global organizations who probably left on a Friday for their company having no idea um, that they would have difficulty coming home to work for their company and home being the US or if they had left some other time before and was expecting to come back in this weekend you could imagine the scurry that would happen with organizations trying to figure out how to make sure their employees get back and get back safely and then what do they say to their employees who are who are here and whether they're on HB1 visas or whether they're citizens that have a name that makes them sound or makes them feel vulnerable, um, as well as you know people who are of the of the Muslim faith, which is not a small organization or a small uh, uh, population of people. So thinking about how we navigate mm -hmm. through these conversations with each other before we're actually confronted with the answer or provide the answer on a Monday when this happens on a Friday right. requires you to have conversations on a Sunday. Right, right, <laughs> right. yeah. You know, and sometimes, it, you know, it's not just about the organization decisions. It's sometimes about personal. You know, so they're not to, you know, go into major details, but it's like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And, you know, and the person, Candy, many times will say, well, is that Darlene the chief diversity officer speaking or is that Darlene the person speaking? And there are times when you, you know, when, with a, when a question comes to you like that, you have to stop because it's like, yes, how would I answer that question? Because many times you do work on behalf of the organization. 
And so the line can get really blurred um, in terms of, you know, how it's, seen, how it's seen, how you're perceiving it, how your answer is perceived, how your action is perceived. And so you have to get clarity. And so the phone calls, you know, after hours and on the weekends help you to get clarity in terms of the work that you do um, from a personal standpoint and, and from an organizational standpoint. One of my mentees uh, has always said to me that you have to decide whether you're answering the role, I mean the question or proposing a recommendation as the chief diversity officer yep. or as Candy. Because sometimes what Candy would do as an impassioned you know, person who wants the whole world to be treated with dignity and respect is not necessarily what the organization will do. And so so some, that's different from and, what and, the chief some, diversity officer would do? Sometimes it is. And sometimes mm -hmm. you have to call and sort of mm -hmm. think about what Candy might do is to feed all the homeless people. But the chief diversity officer's role is not to feed all the homeless people. Right, the chief diversity officer's right. role is to make a decision on how the organization can contribute to homelessness, right? And so when you think about that as a community problem that you might be trying to solve, what Candy would do may not be what the organization either is interested in doing and in some cases has not made a decision or taken a position on yet. And so when you think about what's happening in the world today, in some cases, there are organizations who've chose to remain silent, and as a result, people have no idea what they feel about what's happening in the world. And at the same time, you have some organizations who make Super Bowl commercials that say something about what they mm -hmm. feel. So mm -hmm. all of these things are real, and um, I think there was a time when we thought that we could leave many of these social justice and political conversations outside of the workplace. And for many years, I think organizations have been able to do that successfully. That is actually a time of the past. That is no longer the case today because the people who feel whatever they feel outside are breaking down the walls of political correctness and bringing their concerns, their fears, and their feelings into the workplace. And so as chief diversity officers, those things that used to happen outside, we have to call on the weekend and say, this happened, how are we going to figure this out, what are we going to do about it, yeah. try to come up with and answers. And how are we going to talk about yes. it yes. at work? And, and I think, you know, in addition to that, you also have to, as an organization, right, you can't necessarily answer everything that's happening. I think, at, you know, there was a time when things would happen and a month would go by before something else happened or two or three months would go by before something happened. Now it's like every other day something is happening. And so it puts the organization in a tailspin and especially in an organization like United Way, right? So what do you stand for? What about this? And what about that? And now how do we respond to that? And it's because United Way is in every state across the country and in every many of the international countries, everything impacts us or has the ability to impact the work that we do in some community across this country. You know, and so people look for leadership and look for direction but you have to be very strategic about, okay, you know, we stand for a lot of things, we do, but can we answer to each and everything right. that's happening? Um, and, and some things you, you certainly do need to sit back and wait. And sometimes, you know, just as uh, an organist, you have to say, am I answering as Darlene or am I answering as a chief diversity officer? Sometimes the chief diversity officer and Darlene together say we need to wait 
and the organization may say, no, we need to move forward. Um, so, so there's lots of times when you are navigating, you know, the organization, the decisions that leaders are making, the decisions that employees are making inside of a company. And so it's not just about what we do to support leadership, but it's also about how we help to support the employees in that organization as well um, on a day-to-day -day basis. So it is a chief everything officer. Chief everything officer. Yeah, which is the Sounds CEO. Sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. It can be on, on any given day um, because you're expected to provide advice or consult on, you know, every demographic group, every area of the business, uh, internal and external community, uh, sometimes government relations, sometimes uh, community relations, depending on what the scope of the organization's, you know, work is, uh, sometimes on products and services. And so when you think about all of that, um, it is the reason why I say the chief everything officer. Uh, because people expect you to have the answer. And so while you may have a background in diversity, you don't have a background in every demographic, in every area of the business, from marketing to sales to product development, right. and yet you're expected to know the answer. The way that we survive is I think, you know, most chief diversity officers or people who do DNI work are resilient because they're passionate. And they, they get energy off of each other. Um, they get energy off of the small wins in spite of some of the big challenges that they may face. That's a great segue. I'd love to ask you each to share a moment in this work that has really stuck out for you. Well, for me, you know, I was, I was telling someone, I've been watering seeds for two years. So this is going on my third year at United Way worldwide. And those metaphorical seeds or literal seeds um, <laughs> in your window? <laughs> now, <laughs> Sounds like metaphorical now, seeds. Now we're the chief everything officer I know, and right? gardeners. And gardeners. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and I said, well, I said, it's like watering seeds for two years and not knowing, you know, I, I know I, I planted this and I planted that and I planted a little bit of this and, you know, you paid attention to the conversations. Um, but things didn't seem to be moving. People didn't seem to be, you know, wanting to do this. And then all of a sudden you wake up and you see sprouts, and then all of a sudden you see flowers, and people are saying, hey, can you speak at this conference? Can you come to my United Way? Can you speak to our National Professional Council? You have four hours on the agenda. You have an hour and a half on the agenda to teach the CEOs about you know, diversity and inclusion. So all of a sudden you're thinking like, wow, I guess people were paying attention or I have been diligent in paying attention. Um, and so it really, it really is making a difference, right? Because sometimes you don't, you kind of like, well, I think if I were not here, would it matter? You know, what, whether or not it would matter. And so when you start to see the seeds and that's where, you know, it's, it's about the journey. Um, I think in another company where I was as a chief diversity officer, one of the things I was most proud of, we created a program called A Seat at the Table, and it was for our women leaders. And it was not, it, it, it was for director level, mid-level managers and above, because we didn't have anything that focused on the mid-level manager in the organization. And it was really about what women needed to know in the corporate space about what it means to have a seat at the table. It was, it was an idea, you know, sitting around in a conference room and said, hey, we should do this and what do we call it? 
and we were sitting at the table and we said, well, why don't we call it a seat at the table? And mm -hmm. it stuck for the organization and it was so successful. I mean, it was so successful that it was even more successful than we thought it would be. It would be. And one, one of the best sessions we did was on not how to have a work-life balance, but work-life decisions. And because we said it's not really about the balance, it's about the decisions that you make depending on where you are in your career. So people were at different places, right? Some people were said, I want to have a family, therefore I'm not going to travel. Um, and then other people said, well, no, I'm not having a family and I want a job that I can travel. So it didn't matter about, the. it wasn't going to be equal, um, but it was about the balance that you had to make. And we had senior leaders who then talked about, we had one senior leader who said, oh, no, I don't, I don't do the PTA meetings. I don't go to my kids' school. My husband does that. And I'm very comfortable and clear that I'm not doing that. And, you know, to hear the mom mm -hmm. say, that is not my role. Um, and she was very Good comfortable. Good for her. That, yeah. She was I think socially that's a very difficult thing very, to very, do. Very hard to say. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people in the audience were like, oh, my gosh, like, it's okay not to be that PTA mom. And she said, that I don't do it. I just, I, and my kids know that I don't do it, and we're all okay. We're all surviving. Um, so things like that, those, when you, when you can stand in the background and you can see those moments, um, then you're like, that's one of the most proud moments, right? When I can stand in a room, and while I'm not front and center for the day, but knowing that, you know, the candy is here because I said I have a vision and I think candy can fulfill that vision. And then I see the faces of the people in the room and I see the interaction of the people in the room. Those are the kinds of moments that, you know, that you know you are successful and proud. So not always the messenger, um, but, but having the vision to be able to, to set the stage. I, I think for me, one day I was sitting in my office, I had done a Dignity and Respect keynote for um, a university, and one of the people in the audience actually worked for a Republican senator, and he was an older white guy. And he came up to me afterwards and said thank you, and then he went home and wrote me a three-page handwritten note. And he talked about the fact that he was grateful that no part of the conversation made him feel guilty or bad for what had transpired up until today related to diversity and that he knew there was more he could do. And that as a result of that conversation, he said, I'm willing to do these three things. And one of the things I always ask people to do is to think about what their contribution is. And one of the things I also try to do is to try to empower people to do this work versus making them feel bad that the work hasn't already happened. Because I can't change what you didn't do before today, but we can change what we're going to do tomorrow. And so I think when I ever, I have these days when I wonder if it all matters, um, I go back to those kinds of notes that remind me that it matters to a few. And so sometimes it's just a few people that you have to be able to engage that perhaps make a different decision or think about things differently because they interacted with you. I also think that the concept of dignity and respect um, created you know, uh, a, a platform for us to have dialogues about lots of things uh, in which dignity and respect could serve 
uh, the campaign itself could serve as a foundation on which you could put leadership, or you could put diversity, you could put inclusion, you could put work-life integration, you could put all kinds of things, because what it, what it sets as a foundation is who we are and what our personal contribution is to the success of whatever the program is. And so I think that sometimes people do believe that they can put together a diversity strategy and with every intention of it being successful. It has all the metrics, it has all the milestones, it has all the things that you expect to be in a strategic plan. The thing that's missing are the people who have to make it real. And it's my day-to-day -day interactions with people in the organization, in a community, in a school, or a nonprofit, for-profit, a hospital, a grocery store, a retail store. It's those interactions that actually create the experience. When you think about the concept of what how you, what and how you treat people, right? What you say is important as a value, and then how you treat them on the other side. That ultimately is what enables diversity and inclusion. It's not an amazing strategy, that's a part of it. But it by itself, without people actually doing something different as a result, creates the problem. Sweat the small stuff. Sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Tip number two. Thank you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> can, well, Candy uh, Castleberry Singleton and Darlene Slaughter, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. That was Darlene Slaughter, Chief Diversity Officer at United Way Worldwide, and Candy Castleberry Singleton, founder of Dignity and Respect, Inc. To learn more about the Dignity and Respect campaign, including 30 small ways you can foster an environment where everyone feels included, valued, and appreciated, visit dignityandrespect.org. Living Local is produced by myself, Katie Kuhn, Melissa Hannon, Brian McCaig, and John Waldbauer. A special thank you to Ethan and Maeve McCaig for providing the music and voice talent for our introduction.